The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well... The NFL calendar has reached December, and this is the Hit in the Artist podcast. Mark Lane is out this week. This is, of course, Son Martin with you. You can find me on Twitter slash X at Son Martin NFL, and I'm joined by BTB's own David Howman. You can find him at DH44. He is the king of all things analytics and Taylor Swift and what have you. He uh, is everywhere, including on this edition of Hit in Yardage, filling in for Mark, who you'll hear from again soon, and we got to celebrate a victory Friday. You got to go into a good weekend. I hope you enjoyed the weekend of college football. I have more to say on that. Towards the end of the show, as we do our triangle of triumph, we'll keep that in the rundown this week as the Cowboys prevailed 41-35 to against the Seattle Seahawks. It was their third game in 13 days. It was another Thursday contest, and that became the perfect storm for Finally, a close game at AT&T Stadium. Maybe perhaps the type of game this team needed as we now look ahead to a Sunday night matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles. As Mark would, of course, tell you, this would be the 20th straight year that the Cowboys and the Eagles have met on an NBC Sunday night football matchup. So the stakes have never been higher, per se, and the Cowboys are coming off a win going into this game. Yes, it was close. Yes, they trailed for... The first time all season when DK Metcalf caught that 73-yard touchdown against Deron Bland. Almost became a footnote because the Cowboys did take a 10-point lead at one point in this first half, but Metcalf was far from done, and his three touchdowns helped the Seahawks have a lead into the fourth quarter in this game, but that's when the Cowboys stars really signed. Dak Prescott, Jake Ferguson, Michael Parsons, Demarcus Orange. We'll get into all of that. So, David, like I said, there was a victory Friday. As far as I know, this still counts as a victory Monday. You know, RJ Ochoa is a curator of all things. Victory insert day here and what and attire and coordinating. I used to be on top of these things. I feel like now the college student I met RJ in college, so this is fitting, but I feel like now the college student that, you know, forgot to prep for a final and is trying to cram, trying to keep up with the rules. I think Victory Monday is still in play here, even though the rest of the league is, you know, playing Sunday and the Cowboys already have a win in the bank from Thursday, but 41-35, back and forth, wild game against Geno Smith. How are you feeling? You know, I'm, I'm feeling good, and, and the, the victory Monday definitely still counts, even though it's the, the game was on a Thursday. Um, it, it was definitely uh, – it, it, it was an uneasy feeling to be playing – for the Cowboys to be playing at home and have a game where they didn't just completely run away with it. That's not something that we've really seen a whole lot this year. Haven't seen it really in a while. The Cowboys have been very good in AT&T Stadium the last couple of years. Um, in a way, it was kind of encouraging that they did get into such a close game and they were able to to pull it out, especially the way that they were trailing, um, to be able to come back and make those plays. And the offense just absolutely went, you know, they scored on almost every single drive. They were absolutely balling out. And the defense, who struggled all night, like they stepped up in the fourth quarter when they needed those stops the most, like they stepped up and made the stop. Um, so that's like uh, kind of how, you know, a lot of Cowboys fans recently have been watching and like kind of scoreboard watching the Eagles, hoping for them to drop a game or two here and there. And it's frustrating because they 
it seems like every week they're playing one of these types of games where they're trailing for most of the second half and then just out of nowhere they find a way to to take the lead back and they win at the last second um and history tells us you definitely don't want to be a team that's always winning that way but also suggests that it's good to be able to win when you get in those situations. So for the Cowboys to have a game like this, uh, I'd rather it happen like just the one time so that we know that they're capable of doing it. Um, But at the same time, it's a little bit encouraging that when they had that kind of adversity, especially being at home with the way that the Seahawks played, that they were able to step up and pull it out. So um, I'd prefer a, a blowout next time around, but you know, it, it was it was at least encouraging on that front. Fifth time this season that the Cowboys have scored at least 40 points. And like you said, you know, easily the only time that it's happened where the other team kept up with the Cowboys and it resulted in a close game. The previous times was, of course, opening night against the Giants, 40 to nothing, 43 to 20 against the Rams at home, 49 to 17 in the next meeting against the Giants. And then right before the Seahawks game was Thanksgiving, of course, and that was a 45-10 to 10 game that gave the illusion it was close in the first half against the Commanders, and that's kind of what I'm getting at when it comes to, you know, this recent win streak set us up for the expectation that especially at home this Dallas team should be running away with games. But if you go back and look at the nuance of, you know, not just the Commanders game, again, that was 45-10, to 10, and that was a convincing one over this ongoing four-game win streak, but... You know, 49-17 against Tommy DeVito, that's an undrafted quarterback and a team that was really down in the luck at so many other positions. And there's a lot of asterisks to go with that other Giants game too. But, I mean, even the Carolina game stayed close for about a half, just like the Washington game did. So there's been nuance to, yes, the Cowboys find a way to pull away and make the plays, and they're doing it against lesser quarterbacks, and Gino was a step up in the level of quarterbacks they saw. And, yeah, I'm with you on not wanting to give up 35 to him and let it be a one-score game. You'd like to, you know, see this game be a little bit of a higher margin when the Cowboys do continue to put up the points. But is this the type of game they needed when it comes to being tested in this way all the way down to the fourth quarter and having to see their best players be capable of making those big clutch plays? I mean, they had their stars' fingerprints all over this game with Prescott, Ferguson, Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, they all made plays when it counted. Even Deron Bland, who struggled all night, the interception was a big play, and we're so accustomed to the offense not even having to take the field when Bland makes an interception for the team to score. Bland usually just does it himself, but instead, this time, the Cowboys offense couldn't pick up you know, what the defense gave them, an extra possession that really would have helped this game perhaps feel a little bit better to the fans. They turned it over on downs themselves right after that, but still scored when it mattered most. Ferguson's uh, touchdown was the game winner. Brandon Aubrey... Gave him some cushion at the end of his fourth field goal. So does that set up the type of game that we needed to see from this team, especially considering who's in town this week, none other than Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles, who've also been winning these types of close games? Yeah, I think it's a good confidence booster for sure, right before heading into that rematch with Philly. Um, you know that, And that game was another one where the Eagles, I mean, it was such a back-and-forth affair, and the Eagles kind of pulled that one out at the very end the way they have most games this year. And, you know, you, you kind of, you, you understand the history of the relation of, of the rivalry between Cowboys and Eagles and, and the way that the last few years, generally they've been splitting this series. Um, and when it's in Philadelphia, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of imagine that they're going to have a little bit of an advantage there with it being in Philly. Um, and that kind of proved to be the difference was, you know, being on the road, the Cowboys, they, they played really close, but they just couldn't pull it out in the end. Um, and I think right after that game, the the feeling a lot of people had was, you know, yeah, it sucks that we lost. It sucks that it was as close as it was, you know, with the Luke Schoonmaker touchdown that got overruled with Dak Prescott stepping out of bounds right before the two-point conversion, just those really small plays. Um, the feeling was kind of like, you know, we get them in a few weeks and it's in Dallas and we'll get them next, next time. Um, and I think after a game like this, it just kind of boosts that confidence just a bit more because the Cowboys have shown that, you know, they're, they're able to win those tough games and they haven't really been challenged like that. And really the only time that they were challenged up to this point by a team that was, you know, re- ready to go toe to toe with them 
um, was the 49ers, and that did not go well for the Cowboys. They, they really were not ready for the moment when they played them. Obviously, the team has changed a lot. The way that they've been running the offense since then has really uh, dramatically changed. Um, so I, I think it's, it's definitely – uh, it makes me feel more confident. I imagine it makes most Cowboys fans feel more confident about this game. And probably for the actual team, too, I think, uh, you know, getting in a knife fight the way that they did with the Seahawks and now getting to host the Eagles, um, they got to be feeling good. And there's also the rest aspect is the Cowboys getting a mini buy. The Eagles uh, not only will not be having as much rest time, but they're coming off a game against the 49ers who – uh, as we know from last year where there was, I forget what the actual stat was, but generally teams don't do as well the week after they play the 49ers. That's a very tough, very physical team to be facing. So um, the Cowboys will have a longer rest going into that game and uh, the, the Eagles are coming off a really, really tough matchup. So I, I think a lot of things are really trending in the Cowboys direction for that game. And like I said, off the open, not quite December football for the Cowboys, but, you know, let's go ahead and include this game as part of, you know, very important stretch now where the schedule gets harder and it's a stretch run of the entire regular season. And these games can expect to be harder, and it's when you have to win with your best players, and that's what they proved against the Seattle Seahawks. To me, that does give you that confidence to be able to go do so at home, but in particular against the Eagles, where the home win streak is now up to 13 games. So, they had to sweat it out, but that is the streak that they preserve going into Sunday night football. So, you know, it's weird to be starting with this question on the offense based on a game where they just had to put up 41 points and needed all but six of them, or, you know, five of them, I guess, to win. But that's what we do here on Hidden Yardage. We, you know, dig through some of the uh, the finer pieces of what's going on with this team. So you're analytically minded and have a good eye for these things. You know, what did you see from – the Cowboys offense as far as reasons for concern. Of course, the highlights are nothing new. You know, we're not going to gloss over them, but at this point in the season, week 13, you know, we don't need to break down every single big play to see the Lamb and Brandon Cooks and keep hitting on the fact that Dak Prescott is playing at an MVP level. These things are understood, and we've given Mike McCarthy and Brian Schottenheimer even flowers on that. So, now, what did you see as far as concern for the offense? Because from my point of view, it felt like, and I hate to bring up something that was laughable last year and fall right back into this trap like I talked to you about before we started recording. But, you know, last year there was this narrative of, oh, every time Kellen Moore had a bad game calling the offense and what ended up, we didn't know it at the time, but what ended up being his last season as offensive coordinator Every time there were some struggles with more, it was, oh, benefit of the doubt, he's holding something back, you know, he's the boy genius type of thing, and this team can flip the switch when they need to, and certainly that didn't really happen, and the Cowboys decided to move on. In the offseason, he goes to the Chargers. So I almost felt that vibe from Mike McCarthy's play calling against the Seahawks. I mean, it almost felt like, I'm not going to say it all, they didn't take the opponent seriously, but it just felt like, there were times where you know he was calling the offense in a bubble and calling plays that weren't based on the coverages and the checks that Seattle was making in real time. It was more just based on okay, here's the things we worked on during the you know Thursday to Thursday week. So it's not a short week, but it's a different one as far as prep time and what each day means in the in the schedule and whatnot. But it seemed like the play calling was a little bit static and just a little bit you know preempt preeminently looking at a game where you could have to potentially pull out some stops and score with the Eagles and, you know, Vicky Bell and Metcalf did to the secondary. Now you have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith in town. So you very well may need 41 points to Steven get a one-score game again against the Eagles based on how this matchup on turf may go. What did you see as far as downside things to an offense that still did rally and make the game-winning plays and adjust enough to carry this team to a win, really, when the defense – had their first off night in a while, uh, what do they need to improve on and kind of take from this game that they can uh, go against the Eagles with? Yeah, well, I think uh, you kind of alluded to it. Um, it. It wasn't really a short week. I mean, they had a regular full week of, of preparation, but they're coming off uh, three games in a very short stretch. And this is always uh, a challenging part of the schedule for the Cowboys, and they do it every single year. Uh, Mike McCarthy talked 
you know, a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of this stretch about how he's kind of adjusted at this point. He's kind of settled into a bit of bit more of a groove as far as how the team actually prepares. But you know, playing you know against the Panthers and then having the quick turnaround for um, for the Commanders on Thanksgiving and then right after that another you know even though it is a week, it's it's still you know, the, the timing gets kind of thrown off and. And I think honestly that that was really one of the biggest problems with the defense too was just these guys have played a lot of games in a very short span and a lot of them kind of just looked gassed, uh, offense, defense, and special teams. Um, so that that can make it hard for for Mike McCarthy as a play caller, also for Dan Quinn as a play caller when you're putting together your schemes. Um, you just you have such a, a shortened uh, schedule of of game prep that you normally do in a in a general game week. Um, so I, I would imagine um, that that's probably part of what played into uh, a little less creative game plan from what we've seen in, in recent weeks for McCarthy. But I also just think a lot of it came down to uh, execution on some level. Um, there were some pass protection issues, notably with Tony Pollard. There were a couple of different times where he just he wasn't really holding up in, pra- in, in pass protection. And that's been an area of growth for him since he took this this number one running back role, but uh, on, on Thursday against the Seahawks, he really, really struggled, had a few plays where he got, you know, Prescott under pressure and and he had that one play where Prescott kind of flipped it to Pollard. He was able to make a big play off of it, but the only reason that it got flipped to him is because uh, Pollard wasn't able to pick up the free blitzer. Um, so some of it is just, uh, some of it is just that, um, you know, they had a couple of, of failures down in the red zone, which is an area that they've been a lot better in lately. They were, I think, uh, four of eight in this game, 50%, which is well below what they've done since the bye week. Um, and again, a lot of that, not necessarily uh, scheme necessarily was uh, a problem in the red zone, but it was just sometimes guys didn't get open quick enough or the pass protection didn't hold up. So um you know, we're, we're also kind of playing the same game, you know, where we're, we, last year we gave Kellen Moore the benefit of the doubt as far as like always holding things, you know, saving something for next week. Right now I'm kind of giving Mike McCarthy the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, I'm saying it's just the case of they were playing their third game in 12 days. And sometimes that's just, that's just the kind of look you get. But, um, you know, I, I think what we've seen since the bye in total, I think, has earned McCarthy the benefit of the doubt as a play caller, the way that this offense has evolved, you know, each week they've they've gotten better at either they've gotten better at throwing the ball, they've gotten gotten better at how they feature CeeDee Lamb, they've gotten better at giving enough touches for Brandon Cooks, getting Jalen Tolbert more involved. Even the run game has gotten better the last few weeks. So um I I mean if it if it comes out and they have some similar issues against the Eagles, then it'll be kind of a more of a talking point I think of like something's actually wrong or or you know whatever whatever it might be at that point but right now with just this one game after a bunch of really red hot games from the offense uh and and I mean even to that point like the offense was really the one that that kept them in the game in this uh, against the Seahawks so I think it, it it's a testament to how good they've been that we look at uh, you know, a 40 plus point game and say, well, what, what, what went wrong with this offense? That's just how good they've been. So um, I, I'm really confident in them being a lot better once they have a more of a regular week of, of preparation. And I'm with you on the benefit of the doubt for McCarthy and how it's a little bit easier after a 41 point performance, because you're absolutely right. It was four of eight in the red zone. So we could easily I mean, be talking about this being a 50 burger and, the game getting more out of hand and one or two plays here or there. So let's run through those red zone possessions real quick. And I want to ask you, you know, why they kind of reverted back to some early season red zone struggles, which leave a bit of a bad taste in the mouth, yet they still scored to 41 points. But four of eight before Aubrey Field goes down there, opening drive. I thought the sequencing was good, but again, more of that, what I would call play calling it a bubble as far as right idea, but just a step behind where you went first down run to the left of Pollard. You tried to set that up to be a play action rollout to the other side then for Prescott on second down. Standout rookie Devin Witherspoon, guy that I was high on in the draft. I'm sure you were too. Made a great play. Stuck at Prescott. Knocked the ball down. Third down, he gets sacked. Aubrey kicks a 30-yard field goal. 
there was another sack and a steal holding penalty. The next time you had to settle for a field goal, 31 yards from Aubrey, who's, of course, been automatic. So that's another thing to note coming out of this game. He kicked a 38-yard field goal later on, and that was the drive where you had a third and 12, you know, rocket throw from Prescott go off the fingertips of Lamb in between coverage. That was a clear opportunity where you could be talking about having seven more points there. And then the final field goal was the 32-yarder to extend the lead, make the Seahawks have to go the long way down the field needing a touchdown, which is what gave the Cowboys pass us an opportunity to come alive and have Parsons make the game ceiling play. But that 32-yard field goal was after another third down in completions to Lamb, which was Perhaps some will say it was a questionable call to not run the ball and take more time off the clock there. But, you know, we haven't faulted McCarthy for too much aggressiveness this year. So you have to live with it and, uh, you know, expect Lamb to make that play. Or you expect expect him to make the touchdown play that went off his fingertips. Or perhaps the fourth down sprint right option, you know, rollout throw that came after the bland interception. So if you like your chances on Lamb making any one of those three plays, you know, more consistently down the stretch of the season – which he should, of course, based on the way he's been playing, and that's your wide receiver one. Then that alone gives you hope that this, you know, 41 points is almost just a, getting started for this offense, which is wild to say. So, what were the red zone issues? How fixable are they with a long week to prepare now for Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean, like with with the red zone stuff, especially. I mean, a lot of it is, uh, like I said, a lot of it comes down to the execution. You know, you you talked about. Uh, the, the holding call, which actually negated a touchdown run from Dak Prescott, which as someone who has Dak on my fantasy team, I was very upset about. Um, but, uh, you know, that that's that's just a, a mistake that they can't be made. And um, that's, you know, shooting yourself in the foot. But the play that they called on on that particular play, it ended up working out. There was just, you know, a penalty that negated it. Um, there was the catch where or the non-catch that, that CeeDee Lamb could have had and um, similar to what what you mentioned, I don't think it occurred in the red zone, but the the fourth down where they had the sprint out and and they got him open. Prescott put it in his hand and he just couldn't come up with it. Um, and, and this was a this was a weird game for Ceedee Lamb because he finished with twelve catches, one hundred sixteen yards, and a touchdown, which on the surface is a great game for him. That's kind of what you expect from him. But also, you can point out these couple of plays where. You know, the, with the level that he's been playing at, there were a couple of plays that he left on the field. And one of those was that fourth down conversion where, you know, they right after the interception, they were given a great opportunity to go down and score. And, you know, if he gets that that uh, first down conversion, who knows what they do after that, go, potentially go down and score. Uh, that one where he, you know, dropped what, what could have been a touchdown in the end zone or in the red zone. That was another one of their red zone failures. Um, and it's, you know, you can't really say that he had a bad game because he definitely played well, but also relative to the standards that he's set for himself this year and for the play that we've seen from him, um, th- there were some extra plays he could have made that for a guy who's, you know, trying to be in the conversation of the top receiver in the entire NFL, he has to make those plays. And, you know, for the most part this season, he has made those plays. And so he deserves to be in that conversation. But, um, I think, that's really a lot of what this comes down to. Um, there was another red zone play. I think I'm pretty sure it was on their their opening drive as well, where, um, where again, you know, Pollard uh, Pollard tried to engage in pass pro and kind of just whiffed his block. Prescott ends up taking a sack, and and some some people pointed out on Twitter during the game that like Brandon Cooks was coming open on a on a crosser in the end zone as Prescott was getting sacked. So. You know, if, if Pollard holds up just a little bit better at the point of attack, then Prescott probably hits Cooks, probably gets a touchdown there, and that's one less field goal uh, that you have to settle for. And then, of course, the the much-discussed decision to throw on third down near the end of the game, and everyone's saying, like, well, why wouldn't you just run the ball? Um, that one was definitely confusing for me. That's something that's, you know, you, you can't pin that on uh, – on the players or the execution, that's just a coaching decision. And I don't know what the thought process there was personally. I would have just, you know, run the ball and, and known that if you get within a certain amount, certain distance, like you can go for it on fourth, but you're also 
at the very least, you're running that clock. You're burning some more time off. Um, but also, I'm not a coach, and Mike McCarthy is, and he's he's won a whole lot of games. So, um, you know, he's he's probably more qualified to be making those decisions. Um, so, you know, we, we can sit here and argue with it. Um, and, you know, certainly a lot of people already have and will continue to. Um, but ultimately, it worked out in the end. Um, I, as far as like clock management gaps, like you can look around the NFL and see a whole bunch of them like every single every single Sunday. Um, I thought that was not as egregious as some of the other stuff I've seen from other coaches, um, but it is questionable for sure. So that's just, I think for the most part though, their red zone issues in this game were really just, um, you know, a couple misplays here or there, whether it was the holding, whether it was a drop, whether it was whiffing and pass pro. Um, and again, that a lot of that, I think hopefully just comes down to they were tired after playing so many games in a short span of time. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, the back-and-forth nature of this game probably saves Cowboys players and coaches this week in the media from having to answer the pretty tired question of, you know, oh, did the defensive game plan against you change enough to give a blueprint to other teams going to be able to mimic, you know, what happened here? Teams aren't going into the game hoping to give up 40 points to this Cowboys team because they know that Dan Quinn's defense is capable of holding most other teams on a different night to Probably less than that, but again, the back-and-forth nature of this, the Seahawks had scoring drives with just three plays on that Metcalf touchdown, which became the first time the Cowboys trailed at home all season, 7-3. to three. Scoring drive of seven plays later on in the first half, eight plays in the second half. They went 10 plays and then five plays for their second-half scores. So that back-and-forth nature saves them, perhaps. But we can talk about it here, and I thought the Seahawks had some success Early on playing zone, I thought the adjustment would come sooner as far as being able to target the middle of the field, which seemed wide open uh, against those zones. And that's where Jake Ferguson, I am, and even Cooks have made a living on a lot of big plays this season. So they ended up hitting those big plays. Both I am and Cooks' touchdowns came on routes that kind of exposed you know, that middle of the field area. But I thought the adjustment would come sooner where Dak would just really be able to pick on those throws all night and it would be, you know, the type of game where they pile up points and the Seahawks couldn't keep up, but they got away from it on their own at times. They, you know, call it trying to establish the run, call it just trying to mix in, you know, what you would normally call that they had game plan for. But, yeah, the Seahawks had a little bit of success early on in zone. Then it became, it didn't matter what they were playing. Prescott was finding the open man and Ferguson made the big play against Jamal Adams there to score the go-ahead game-winning touchdown. So, did you see anything from Seattle, despite giving up to 41, that you know you'd be worried, you'd be worried about, let's say even as recently as as the Eagles game, another defense trying to replicate and trying to slow down this Cowboys offense? Well, I I think it's it's interesting because um, to kind of get into the some of the weeds on on the coaching and the scheme and everything. Um, last year. Seattle brought in almost a completely new defensive staff. Uh, obviously, Pete Carroll still the head coach. He's very involved in the defensive scheme, but they kind of uh, they, they made a really drastic departure from the scheme that that led to that Legion of Boom defense that was so successful. That of course Dan Quinn was part of back in the day as the Seahawks defensive coordinator, um, which uses a lot of uh, middle of the field close single high safety kind of looks. Um, a lot of cover three, cover one designed to take away that middle of the field. 
and um, and they they brought in a couple of different coaches that were more uh, from the Vic Fangio, Mike Zimmer kind of school of defense, which usually has the middle of the field more open, a lot of more of those two deep safeties that's become a really popular defensive scheme around the league. Um, and one of those coaches was uh, Sean Desai, who's now the defensive coordinator in Philly for the Eagles and is running pretty much the exact scheme that Vic Fangio runs, which uh, is a lot of those two deep safeties. And of course, the, the Cowboys have already played the Eagles once and their offense had a lot of success there. But what, what Seattle did last year and what they've continued to do this year is they didn't just go to the Vic Fangio style defense. They kept a lot of the same stuff that they had been doing with with those single high safety looks. And they just, it, it was kind of like uh, just an amalgamation of the two. And so that gave them a whole lot of different varieties of their schemes and their coverage schemes that they can use. And so they, they use a lot of zone. They still go to man, but like, you know, most teams generally, majority of the time with certain looks, you're going to know before the snap if it's, if your middle of the field is open or closed. The Seahawks, to their credit, they do a really good job of disguising that. They do a really good job of switching it up. Um, and, you know, ironically, the, the Cowboys on that first drive where they came out and they were just moving down the field for a while. They took a few shots down the middle of the field right away to start, and then the Seahawks kind of uh, adjusted to be able to take some of that away. That's where some of the, the challenges came a little bit, um, and then later on, it became open again. So that was kind of the the chess match within the game of McCarthy and defensive coordinator Clint Hurt kind of going back and forth of like, well, you're, you're attacking here. We're going to take that away, and then the Cowboys are like, well, we're going to attack elsewhere now and we'll make that open again later in the game. So uh, I think, I I think credit to the Seahawks for, for having that kind of versatility on the back end in terms of their coverages. Um, And and they've got some really good young defensive players like Witherspoon, Tariq Woolen, um, some really good players there. And I mean, again, like, you know, they gave up, you know, a 40 burger. That's definitely not something to hang your hat on, but they didn't make it easy. They were able to get a few stops here and there. Um, and a, real, a lot of that really just goes to some some really creative game planning that they had cooked up for this game. And um, and it's interesting because there is that, that, that hint of the Sean Desai factor, and that's who they now face again uh, with the Eagles coming up. So um, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a blueprint for success, but um, definitely something that you know, with the Eagles defensive coordinator having been in Seattle last year, he's probably hitting up all those defensive coaches and saying like, hey, like what worked? What didn't? Give me some pointers because my defense didn't do so well last time, even though we won the game. And I'd like some more suggestions for Sunday night football. 136 yards on the ground for for the Cowboys against the Seahawks, their most since their week 10 home win against the Giants where they really just, you know, focused on running the ball to get out of there in a game that they felt like they knew they'd have in hand with everything that was going on at the time. With the Giants starting Tommy DeVito, so they went for 168 in that game, but the 136, so certainly something they'll try to focus on and find even more room to improve when they go up against, like you said, at the side defense and try to get more of a balanced ground game effort going against the Eagles. So with that, let's address kind of the elephant in the room topic coming out of this game, which is you know, of course, the Dan Quinn defense having a bit of a clunker, call it getting bailed out by the offense, what have you. But, you know, these things happen in the NFL. Points are going to be scored. Penalties are a factor that we're not going to spend a whole segment on. But, of course, penalties were a huge influence in this game, you know, to the point of ridiculousness for a lot of it. But to me, the more interesting thing to talk about with this defense, David, is, you know, the great debate in football is secondary versus pass for us, which one makes the other which one is more important? Which would you rather have? All these things. Like the Cowboys are fortunate to, of course, have great players and Pro Bowl players, all pro players at all the levels of their defense. But do you think now looking ahead to this tough stretch of games, it's the Eagles this week, and then, of course, a pass-happy offense and Josh Allen and Buffalo, of course, Tua and the Miami Dolphins, Detroit Lions with Jared Goff. Do you think with the way they're going to see – a steady increase in quarterback play and pass-heavy offenses that it's time for the secondary to, you know, step up and be more consistent 
to match what they're getting in pass rush because we know what this pass rush does well. We know that it's one of the biggest calling cards this team has right now, aside from Prescott playing at an MVP level, is that the pass rush can really turn it on at a moment's notice and just become way too much for the opposing offensive line to handle. And Parsons can single-handedly wreck a game. And also, Odigizua has been brilliant. And Jonathan Hankins even had a sack for the second game in a row. Add in the Dante Fowlers and Sam Williams of the world. And this pass rush can just flip the switch and be the sole reason you can really win basically any game on your schedule. But do they need the secondary to be able to do the same thing? Even when they're not getting turnovers, even when the splash plays aren't there, can the secondary be solid enough to hold up? And you saw Jordan Lewis step up and make some big plays. I know two of which are highlighted in your five key plays that come out after every Cowboys game for us at bloggingtheboys.com. So can the secondary build from a game where they still, you know, gave up a ton of big plays and even Duran Bland was getting picked on really the second week in a row because even the commanders made some plays in man coverage against him, but all that was forgotten when he broke the NFL record for pick sixes. Can the secondary match what the pass rush does, which is the ability to you know take over games at a moment's notice and be as much of a reason they win games as the defensive line has been with Parsons making you know what was the ultimate game ceiling play in this one? Yeah, I mean it, it's gonna they're gonna have to pick up the slack in the secondary. Um and you know the the, the this defense is kind of built around the pass rush. Um and probably rightfully so given the talent they have with Micah Parsons to Marcus Lawrence. And then, you know, even, even their backup edge rushers like Dante Fowler, Dorrance Armstrong and Sam Williams. These are all, these guys could all be starters elsewhere with the production that they've flashed in Dallas. And the only reason they're not starters here is just because Parsons and Lawrence are just that good. Um, so they, they really built the defense around the pass rush and, you know, they have guys, they, they made a, a conscious effort since Mike McCarthy got here, especially since Dan Quinn and Al Harris got here, um, to, to find guys with good ball skills. They, you know, that's why they drafted Trayvon Diggs. That's one of the reasons they really liked Deron Bland, and it's really paying off now. Um, you know, bringing in a guy like Stephon Gilmore in the offseason, he's someone who has had his fair share of interceptions throughout the throughout his career. Um, one defensive player of the year in large part because of how many uh, interceptions he snagged that year. Um, you know, guys like Malik Hooker, who was a was a ball hawk back in college, and and when he was playing healthy with the Colts, he did the same thing. Um, so really, their their whole uh, their whole approach to the defensive pass game is to swarm the quarterback so much with their pass rushers that he either gets sacked or he throws. Uh, a turnover worthy play and they feel confident in their defensive backs to be able to close on the ball and make that kind of play. But um, the issue is if the quarterback isn't under duress uh, or if he's able to, to get it off before the pass rush can get to him, which was the case against Seattle, which was the case against uh, San Francisco, who both run very similar offensive schemes from that Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay kind of uh, offensive background. Um, you know, that, that can set your quarterback up in a really good spot. And the Seahawks coming into this game were one of the um, heavier users of play action in their passing game. Uh, that That is really helpful for pass protection because it kind of forces the, the defensive line to take a beat and and try to figure out if it's actually a run or if it's, if it's a pass, and that can kind of slow them down a bit. Geno Smith, to his credit, also is getting the ball out very quickly in this game. So, um, you know, combine those two elements and and that just makes it so much harder for the pass rush to get to the quarterback and to either sack him or force a really bad pass. Later on, as the game went on, of course, they started getting there more. They forced some some bad passes. Uh, uh, of course, Deron Bland had that interception. But the challenge has to be now what how they react when the pass rush isn't getting home well enough, because sometimes that's going to happen. And and now, you know, with the game against Seattle, with the game against San Francisco, other teams are going to look at that and say, well, I mean, here, here's the blueprint to counteracting this pass rush is use a lot of play action, get the ball out quickly, you know, kind of copy what these teams do. And of course, the the real elephant in the room is what happens if the Cowboys have to face the 49ers again in the playoffs. And that's the same kind of offense that they'll run into. So they, they really need to, the secondary needs to figure out 
Like what kind of adjustments are we, are we going to be making in game going forward so that we're not just getting eaten alive out there on an Island or, or making sure that the safety doesn't bite on the bite on a fakes. Like what we saw with the DK Metcalf, huge catch and run touchdown at the beginning of the game was, uh, you know, Donovan Wilson was kind of uh, in a tough spot and wasn't really giving good safety help for, for Bland who goes to make the pick and, Metcalf beats him and then there's nobody to you know nobody behind him to wrap Metcalf up and he just goes in for a 70 plus yard touchdown so um I you know I know Dan Quinn wants to be really aggressive in the way that he calls this defense and it's worked really well for them but they also need to have a plan b of what happens when it's not working what's our plan b to help these secondary guys out what's going to be best for them and uh that'll be the really interesting adjustment to see Sunday night against the Eagles is how they change that because the Eagles are another team that with Jalen Hurts, they're very capable of getting the ball out quick, running a lot of play action. They prefer that. Um, so that'll be a good first challenge to see like, what have they come up with in the, this mini bye week to, to make those adjustments? With that, let's get to our triangle of triumph. David, if you don't know, we are here to hit any other podcast or the keepers of now defunct Dayton Triangles, they live on in our hearts, and they live on after every week that the Cowboys win. We give our basically game balls, but as the listeners, I think now know at this point, sometimes I like to go off the deep end a bit with one of the legs of my triangle, but I, I always keep at least two to the game. So I got two related to this Cowboys win against the Seahawks, and then we'll get your triangle. So my first dog of the triangle is going to go to Terrence Steele. I think, you know, looking ahead to Cowboys-Eagles again, he really struggled in that first Eagles meeting, but since then he's bounced back. You see why the Cowboys coaches all along have, you know, trusted him. It's because of perform bounce back performances just like that. And I thought the Seahawks, you, know, you talk about everything well that they did in the secondary. Well, a big part of their defense is also getting edge pressure, and they weren't able to consistently do that against Prescott, Tyron Smith. You can almost give him, you know, half the triangle, if you will, because he's been great and healthy, and that's perhaps not talked about enough right now. But Terrence Steele held up well with right tackle. Yes, a couple of penalties and some costly plays, but was a big part of keeping Dak Prescott upright to do what he did in this 41-35 win as well. On defense, I'm going to go with Marquise Bell, you know, continuing to play well at that hybrid linebacker safety spot, having him drop underneath some of these passing routes. As you mentioned, Geno Smith getting the ball out of his hands quickly. That's when you really need that, you know, secondary coverage to make things difficult. And Bell was there to Makes a big plays, playing in tandem with Damone Clark, who's been physical against the run. That's worked out well. So the Cowboys have found something at linebacker, even if, um, you know, at the time of this recording, we don't know if Darius Leonard is going to be a member of the team or not. As of now, he is not, and he's still mulling his choice between the Cowboys and Eagles. So even without him, though, we're seeing Bell and Damone Clark play well. So he is my second leg in the triangle. And then my third one, I hope everybody enjoyed the weekend of college football. It began on Friday, conference championship weekend, with a swan song for the Pac-12. They couldn't have asked for a more high-stakes, better matchup between Oregon and Washington. And to me, it's a deserving leg of the triangle because, man, it's kind of sad seeing these you know, historic rivalries and things like that go away. The conference realignment is always going to you know, take a toll. That I don't think anybody realized when all of this began and the storm started of – teams moving around, you know, just how much these things mean. I've lived in Texas, of course, for the past couple of years and have really gotten a feel for, you know, how much things like the UT-Oklahoma game meant. And you have Texas now playing the final Big 12 championship game, and it's from AT&T Stadium against not the Dallas Cowboys, but the Oklahoma State Cowboys in that game on Saturday afternoon. So a bit of a bittersweet, uh, what is always an enjoyable weekend of college football, but this one's bittersweet because you're seeing – some rivalries that are going away and some high stakes games that have to put, have an asterisk put next to them because you, know, you better cherish every snap of it when you see things like the Pac-12 and the Big 12 uh, certainly changing for what we hope is the better, but changing nonetheless in a way that really nobody saw coming, but now it's become the norm in college football. It's the triangle of triumph, college football rivalries, historic ones at that, Marquis Bell and Terrence Steele. Man, I love that last part too with with the the college football, the ode to the Pac-12. As an Arizona State alum, um, I, I'm really sad to see the Pac-12 be going away. But also, you know, as you mentioned, the Pac-12 really has gone out in a blaze of glory. They've had one of the best seasons in 
conference history. So uh, if you have to go out, go out with a bang the way that they did. And so many teams in that conference have had such a good year. Um, unfortunately, not my Arizona State Sun Devils, but first year of a new coaching staff and rebuild. And I have faith that they're going to be getting it together soon. Um, but uh, as far as my triangle of triumph, I'll, I'll start with uh, my first game ball. Got to go to Jake Ferguson. Um, the impact that he had on this game was it just was felt in such a visceral way. Um, not only just what he contributed to the past game, obviously he had a big night, had a lot of huge catches. Um, you know, he caught the go ahead touchdown and, and the way that he won that particular matchup going against Jamal Adams. Um, you know, he had this, the safety who's definitely more of a box player, not so much of a coverage guy. And he just has him out there on an Island and he just made a play. He went up, climbed the ladder, got the touchdown, um, you know, he, he was also – Jake Ferguson showed on Thursday Night Football for all the people watching that he's got that dog in him, and he plays that way. And, and Dak was saying after the game, like, he, he sometimes he's a little too crazy. you got to kind of rein him in a little bit, and you could definitely see that in this game. Um, I, I think his play was just a lightning rod for this team, and that was, that was the kind of stuff they really needed with this game being so close, such a back-and-forth affair for – him to just kind of, you know, be that spark. And similarly with Dak Prescott, when he had that play where it looked like he was for sure getting sacked and he just kind of forced his way out and was able to keep his eyes down the field and make a play for a first down, um, you know, to have, have guys like that, that play with such like visible, tangible resiliency in such a close game, I think really just kind of the other players feed off of that. And so Ferguson gets a game ball, not just for the production, but for the energy that he brought to the game. Uh, and then the other guy, something we kind of touched on, uh, Jordan Lewis gets a game ball from me um, for my second leg of the triangle. And I mean, this is a guy that has really, really struggled most of the year. And, you know, I, in my, uh, my Cowboys analytics roundup article, I've written quite a few times about how his numbers aren't looking too good in coverage. He's given up a lot of completions, given up a lot of yards. Um, but also I always come back to the fact that, I mean, last year he suffered a Liz Frank injury. He was done for the year and, uh, it's now been like, a, just, just over 13 months, I think, since the injury in the off season, Mike McCarthy, uh, revealed that or originally the injury was believed to potentially be career threatening. I mean, that's a serious, serious injury to be recovering from. And this is also a guy that wasn't even supposed to be the starter at the beginning of the year. He wasn't the starter in the beginning of the year um, as he was still recovering from this injury. So it's uh, it, it makes sense that he's not playing at the level that we know that he's capable of playing. His body is definitely still kind of getting back to where it was and what it needs to be. But I thought he just had a great game on Thursday against the Seahawks. He made a few big plays um, that one uh, – he had that one huge breakup on third down. Um, it was their second fourth down failure in the fourth quarter. Uh, on third down, he makes the breakup for what would have been an easy first down catch to Jackson Smith and Jigba. And he just kind of, he he closed so quickly on the ball to break it up. He looked like vintage Jordan Lewis. And then the very next play, the pressure got to Geno Smith. He threw up a, a really bad ball that fell incomplete. They failed on fourth down, but if it wasn't for that play from Lewis and a few other gutsy plays he made throughout the game, both in coverage and, and in run support, I mean, the Seahawks, you know, they, they would have gotten that first down. They would have been able to extend the drive. And I was just really happy to see Lewis playing and, and looking like vintage Jordan Lewis. And hopefully this can be the kind of the turning point. He can take some of the confidence from that game and combine it with the little mini buy that the Cowboys get right now and just get his feet underneath him again, and hopefully he comes out looking more like the vintage Jordan Lewis that, that we know and love. Um, and then my my third leg is going to be something else that we've kind of, uh, kind of danced around so far, which is it's now December, and December Mike McCarthy is generally something pretty special. In December and January, Mike McCarthy, throughout his whole career and with the Cowboys, he's been – really good. He has been money. For his career, he's got a 51 and 21 record in the final 2 months of the season. 
with the Cowboys, he's 12 and five in December and January. He's come in and put a primary, uh, put a premium on the team winning those games at, and playing their best football at the end of the season. He did it in Green Bay. He's doing it in Dallas. And we've talked about, you know, the games that are coming up that are next on their schedule. They've got some really, really tough ones, and they're going to have to, you know, really play their best football to be able to win those games. But this is something that McCarthy, through his career, has been really good at. So I'm just excited to see December Mike McCarthy because they've been so good up to this point. They've, they've won a few games in a row now, and now the schedule gets really hard. And it's December, and that's where McCarthy, if everything goes according to plan, that's when his teams are playing at their best. So if we think it's good now, it should be only getting better with a, with a harder schedule coming up. I'm excited to see it. And with that, not just a long week for the Cowboys, preparing for a game that can hopefully keep them in the NFC East race, which we will talk to you afterwards on Sunday night and Monday morning. But long week for us at BTB, so look for – Plenty of great content, getting you ready for the Eagles game, continuing to try to process what exactly happened against Seattle. I think that's going to take a, a bit of time, more so than usual. So thankfully we have these extra days before the rest of the Sunday slate. So follow David on Twitter, David Hellman, at underscore D844 underscore. I pulled up your profile to read that, and I'm now laughing at your header picture, which is the Pope holding up DVOA. So if you want more <laughs> funny stuff like that, be sure to follow David. I am at Sean Martin NFL. We'll hear from Mark Lane soon. You can find him at the real Mark Lane. So, David, always a pleasure getting to catch up with you. We hope to do it again soon and uh, enjoy whatever victory day makes your heart full. Friday, Monday, victory Sunday, even. Just enjoy the fact that Cowboys have nine wins going into December. Yeah.